Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hello, hello. Welcome back. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor at Compass. As always, I'm just thrilled and delighted to have you with me today. And to get started, I want to begin by asking you a question. How far would you go to help someone? Okay, so roll with me. Imagine there's someone outside of Walmart and they're holding a sign up asking for help because they're homeless. Now, if you had cash, you'd probably give them $5, right? I mean, that's doable. But would you give them $50? I mean, you may even be willing to take a few minutes out of your day to drive through McDonald's and get them some food, but but would you pick them up, put them in your car, and take them out to lunch somewhere? Sit with them, eat with them. I mean, both of those things would help, but one option asks a little bit more of you than the other. And if you have limits on how far you would go to help someone, dude, I'm with you. I get it. I mean, you know those people in the store who stop you to ask if you have cable so that they can sell you a new or upgraded cable package? Yeah, we all know. I know in my head that it would help them if I let them make their pitch and if I signed up, but I literally go wildly out of my way to avoid going anywhere near them anytime I see them. And to my shame, it's the same with people who are selling Girl Scout cookies or popcorn or any other fundraisers. I know it would help them if I bought something, but I just don't want to do it. And it's partly because I can't say no when little kids are trying to sell me things. and. It's also partly because that stuff doesn't seem like it's gonna make that much difference, like it's big, impactful help. I mean, I'll stop and help someone change a flat tire all day because that seems helpful in a way that maybe buying cookies doesn't, except in how buying cookies helps expand my waistline. But even then, I mean, even with the flat tire, I might not stop to help them change their tire if I'm on my way to another appointment. I'm certain I would help if it didn't disrupt my schedule too much, but what if it did? And what if someone needed a kidney to survive and you were a match? I mean, if it's someone in my immediate family, I know that I would donate it immediately. But what if they're a stranger? Would you donate your kidney to save a stranger? I mean, maybe I would for a child, but what if they're an adult? What if they're older? What if they don't share my politics? What if the person who needs a kidney, what if in 2020 they voted for the other guy? You know, the guy who would destroy America if he got elected? Would you give your kidney to an older adult who doesn't share your values and is actively working to cancel out your vote? I mean, these are interesting questions because I don't know that there's a real right or wrong answer. It's just not black and white. I mean, if you're a billionaire, you could give a homeless person 50 bucks all day. Where as someone who's maybe living on the poverty line, they couldn't do that. And, and donating a kidney to a stranger is maybe harder if you have a child whose health is compromised. And you might need to donate your kidney to them someday. So how far would you go to help someone? That's a question that today I'd like to help answer by looking at another miracle that Jesus performed. And, and actually maybe looking less at the miracle and more at the people around the miracle. And we're going to find it in our journey through the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. This is what it says. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gadarenes, two men who were possessed by demons met him. They came out of the tombs and were so violent 
that no one could go through that area. So last week, we started our Miracles message series by talking about when Jesus calmed a storm and how Matthew, the writer of the gospel, his intent in writing was to convince a first century Jewish audience that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And, and a major part of Matthew's proof were the miracles that Jesus performed. And Jesus calming a storm was huge because it demonstrated that Jesus had authority over nature. But this next miracle goes even further than that. Because while the storm demonstrated Jesus' authority over the natural world, this next miracle, it shows his authority over the supernatural world. Because when Jesus gets to the other side of the lake, he's approached by two violent men who are possessed by demons. Now, quick disclaimer, okay? I realize you may not be a church person or, or even a Christian. And at this point, you might be rolling your eyes a little bit. I mean, maybe you like the teachings of Jesus so far, but demons, I mean, come on, Chris. This super, supernatural stuff, it may not be your bag. And, and also, as we learn about these men, we're going to hear descriptions of behavior that sound a lot like severe mental illness. And I just want to acknowledge up front that there are those in the church who attribute most, if not all, mental illness to demonic activity. And I want to assure you that I'm not one of those people. Mental illness is real, and it is not simply the result of demons influencing a person's mind. But in talking about all of this, my goal is not to convince you that there are demons hiding in your closet or causing autism, depression, and bipolar disorder. My goal is to help you understand who Jesus is so that we can live like he lived, think like he thought, and do what he taught. So, because of that, feel free to hang on to your skepticism, but try to keep an open mind about Jesus. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, we talked about how when you come across difficult Bible passages, one question that you should ask yourself is whether or not the same story you're teaching is recorded anywhere else in the Bible. Well, this story is shared both in Mark and Luke's Gospels, and they actually contain some additional details that give us more perspective on these guys than Matthew does. Now, Matthew said they came up out of the tombs and that they were violent. But look at how Luke describes it in Luke 8, 27. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he'd been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside of the town. So when Matthew talks about two men, this is an interesting point, Luke and Mark, they just focus on one. Now, we don't know why, but this discrepancy really isn't that huge a deal. I mean, it likely really just means that only one of the men was the main actor in the story. But either way, we're starting to get a bigger picture of at least one of these guys. Homeless, violent, living naked, like an animal in the tombs outside of the town. And then Mark actually gives us even more in Mark 5. In verse 3, he says, This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. 
it's kind of tragic the more we hear and the more we learn. I mean, at least one of these guys was in such distress that he wandered the hills and the tombs of the graveyard outside of town, howling, cutting himself. We find out he'd been such a problem to the townspeople that they tried to restrain him with chains and shackles. But because of this crazy strength he had, he kept breaking loose and they couldn't stop him. So they just isolated him to the tombs outside of the community. And it's from there, Matthew continues his account in verse 29. They began screaming at him. Why are you interfering with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? And there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance. So the demons begged, if you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. Okay, jumping back into the supernatural thing a little bit. These, these men who are demon-possessed, the demons in them recognizing who Jesus is and that he has authority over him, they beg him to cast them out into a herd of pigs. Now, honestly, we have no idea why they asked that or why Jesus did it, but it happened. And in verse 32, Jesus says, all right, go, Jesus commanded them. So the demons came out of the men and they entered the pigs and the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. So Jesus casting these demons into the pigs, the, the pigs all commit mass suicide, swimming into the sea and drowning. And Matthew ends the story here because his goal of, of showing Jesus' authority over the supernatural is accomplished. But Mark keeps going in Mark 5.14. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened, and a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. The guys whose pigs had all drowned, they ran into town to let people know what had happened and what was going on. They're like, you know those demon-possessed crazy guys who live in the tombs? Yeah, you know, the naked ones who always break out whenever we try to, you know, change up their chains? Some dude just came and he took the demons out of them and he sent them into our pigs, which drove our pigs crazy and they all drowned themselves. And when the people of the town hear this, they all come out to see for themselves, finding the most insane guy sitting calmly and fully clothed with Jesus and his disciples. And what was their response? Fear, they were afraid and they begged Jesus to leave. Now, why, why do you think that was their response? Why do you think they were, we, they were afraid? I mean, this problem person who they've had to deal with for years is sitting there just fine. He got help. Their problem is solved, right? Well, I think they were afraid and wanted Jesus to leave because of how this miracle went down and because of what it cost them. See, Mark tells us that around 2,000 pigs were drowned that day. For perspective, 
Today, the average pig at slaughter will sell for around an average of $1,000. That would put a modern value on those pigs of around $2 million. I imagine the townspeople were calculating what Jesus' help had cost their local economy. And it was a lot, especially since they already had a pretty cheap solution for these problem guys, which was just to isolate them in the tombs where no one had to mess with them. They didn't ask Jesus to wipe out a huge chunk of their wealth in order to solve a problem that had a solution that they were already happy with. At the end of the day, they didn't want to be bothered by the demon-possessed men. And I think they were put out by what it cost for those men to get better. See, the cost of helping them was higher than the townspeople were, were willing to pay. In spite of the outcome, and the outcome we see this in Mark uh, 5 verse 18, says that as Jesus was getting back into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region, and he began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he had told them. So the demon-possessed man, he's like, Jesus, I want to go with you. You changed everything for me. But Jesus said, go home to your family. I mean, how long had this man been separated from his family? How long had he been alone? How long had he been cut off from any real community because of his affliction? Jesus healed him by casting out all the demons and bringing him back to his right mind. But what Jesus really did was bring him back into community with his family, with his old friends, with the people in his town. His affliction had left him isolated and suffering alone, but Jesus broke down the barrier that separated him from community with other people and invited him back in. Okay, so let's break this down and let's look beyond the story a little bit to see what it says for us today. Now, obviously the fact that, it always says this, that Jesus has the power to do miraculous things in your life. That's there. And that he has authority over the natural and the supernatural. That's all there. But there are two principles embedded in this story that I want to bring to the surface a little bit. And the first is that helping others will cost you something. In this case, it was 2,000 pigs. In your case, it could be time, money, inconvenience, or discomfort. Now, this is intuitive, but helping others in a Jesus-oriented way will always cost us something. And the second principle is more about the outcome of helping others, and it's this. Helping others will always lead to greater inclusion into community. When Jesus intervenes in someone's life, it's always accompanied with an invitation into his kingdom community. That's the whole purpose. You see, Jesus didn't come to earth just to take away our sickness, but he did it to seek and save the lost. And in the same way, our involvement in the lives of others should always be accompanied by that same invitation. In fact, our lives should be that invitation into Jesus-centered community. And the outcome of our help of our involvement in other people's lives is that they should have greater inclusion 
in our church community. And that's the heart of our struggle to be like Jesus. The fact that their inclusion into the community of Christ will cost me something. Time, money, relational investment. It may come at the the price of messing up my status quo or at the cost of doing life, honestly, with someone who doesn't share my values or politics or fashion sense. I mean, Jesus asked a lot of those townspeople in order to see a difficult person brought back into the community. And actually, Jesus didn't ask. He just did it. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he may do the same thing to you. And in doing so, he's asking this, how far would you go to help someone? What would you be willing to sacrifice to see them included in his kingdom? I know what he was willing to sacrifice, everything. His life, his dignity, his authority, his religious comfort. The demon-possessed men were an inconvenience to the community. I mean, they made things difficult and complicated. Their, Their suffering, it couldn't be managed. And it was easier just to exclude them from the community than it was to invite them in and help them. And the townspeople, they weren't willing to pay the cost that it would have taken to make those men's lives better. But if we're going to live like Jesus lived, think like he thought and do what he taught, then we need to accept that helping others will always cost us something and that it will always include and lead them into greater inclusion in the community of Christ. How far would you go to help someone? I hope your answer to that question is as far as Jesus would ask me. He gave his life for that person to be included in his kingdom. He already did all the heavy lifting. And now are you willing to give up your comfort, your preferences, and your resources to do the same thing? So to apply this, I want us to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Okay, first question I want you to ask yourself. Who are the problem people in my life? Who makes life so difficult or uncomfortable for you that it's easier just to leave them outside of the community rather than deal with the cost of seeing them brought in and maybe made better? The second question is, am I willing to pay the price for them to be included in my community? Are you willing to sacrifice to see them invited into community and experience healing through Christ? My prayer is that we would all be willing to do that. And as we do, that we would see the kingdom of God expanding, not just in our lives, but in the lives of others, as his love and his joy and his peace put down deeper roots in each of us. And as we put aside our desires for the good of others, as we submit our vision for what community should look like, for Jesus's vision of what community should look like, and as we're willing to pay any cost to see others included, I know this, I know that the same miraculous power that was expressed in this story, that that miraculous power of Jesus will be at work in your life, in my life, in their life, and in our church. So let's pay the price. Let's look to including people into the kingdom of God, no matter what that cost is for us, our preferences, our comfort, our resources, our status quo. And in doing so, let's see the miraculous power of Jesus unleashed to transform and change, honestly, what might be problem people in our lives. And let's see those problem people become 
people who are part of our family, included in our community, part of the kingdom of God that Jesus gave his life for. I'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.